You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Good morning. Well, we're halfway through our current series called What the Gospel Does. And so far we've seen in the first week, the gospel comes to us. And we said it comes as news. It comes as a gift. It comes to us. We didn't go looking for it. And then second week, the gospel changes us. It uh, doesn't just make us nice, it makes us new. So we have a new Lord, a new perspective. We are a new creation. And so the gospel comes to us. The gospel changes us. And even though we've been speaking in the plural, us, to describe the gospel's work, it has to be pointed out that when the gospel comes to us, it comes to our individual hearts. When the gospel changes us, it changes each of us individually. We have to say that too. In other words, no one can hear the gospel for you. You must hear the gospel. No one can be changed by the gospel for you. You must be changed. You must be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. Your grandma's faith, even if your grandma is Elizabeth Elliot or Mary, the mother of Jesus... Your grandma's faith cannot save you. You can't ride someone else's coattails into the kingdom of God. You yourself must come. But, and this is really important, while you and I come individually, while we come alone, we never stay that way. We don't remain alone, not even for a minute. Once the gospel comes to us and changes us, immediately, whether we know it or not, Immediately, we're joined together with many, many others. We're united. We're brought into a new community without delay. When you come to Jesus, you are brought into the family of God. The gospel brings us in. The gospel makes us family. There's no probation period. It's instantaneous, the moment you believe. Do you remember the series we're in? And that comes with hand signals. Remember that? Yeah, um, you don't have to have been here the last couple of weeks to get this. It's super easy to catch on. But if you know the hand signals from the last couple of weeks, go ahead and, and do them with us together. Uh, what the gospel does, the four weeks, the gospel comes to us. The gospel changes us. Yeah, you can do it that way. You can do it this, whatever, whatever. The gospel brings us in and the gospel sends us out. The gospel that comes to us and changes us, it doesn't stop there. It brings us in. It gives us to each other in family, as family. It's that intimate New Testament metaphor for the church, family, that will be our focus this morning. And here's the idea that if you've been reconciled to God and I've been reconciled to God, if God is your father and God is my father, then guess what? We're related, right? We're family, brothers and sisters of each other. So if you had any hopes of being an only child in the church, you have to give that up this morning. You have many siblings, and that's a good thing. The gospel brings us in. The gospel makes us family. There's an outline in your bulletin if that helps you follow along. The first thing you'll read there is the church is a family. We are family, You'll be hearing that word a lot today, as you already have before in the songs and in the comments. If someone asks you what the sermon was about, at a minimum, just, just know family. That's what it's about. 
Let me be clear about this too, about what the Bible teaches regarding this, that the church is not like a family. The church is a family. God is not like a, a father. God is actually our father. If you've put your faith in Jesus, God is your father. Jesus is literally your older brother. You and I are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a, a gal named Chung that comes to the first service, and she, every, every Sunday she sees me on the patio and says, brother, brother, she wants a hug. And she's not just saying, hey, right? It, it's meaningful to her. It means something. We're family. One day, uh, several years ago, I was uh, hanging out with Venetia and her girls. If you don't know Venetia, she's from Jamaica and her three girls, they usually attend the 930 service. And we were all driving somewhere together after a church service. And uh, if you don't know Jamaica, she, uh, Venetia, she's Jamaican. And if, if you don't know this about me, I'm not, <laughs> right? And so we pulled up next to uh, this light and there was this guy that was looking at us and he was really curious, trying to figure out like, what's going on in that car, right? And I wanted to roll down my window and just say, what? I'm her brother. She's my sister. Take a picture. It'll last longer, right? Because of what God has done in Venetia's life and what he's done in my life, because we both have the same father, we are brother and sister of each other. We're family. So much more than, than just a voluntary association or choosing to become friends or getting a, a, a membership at the YMCA together. It's a supernatural bond that is, exists between myself and Venetia because of Jesus. Everyone who has this connection to God the Father, brothers and sisters of each other. We're family, and as such, we have a responsibility toward each other as well. You know, in your home growing up, the choices you and your siblings made, the, the choices that your parents or those who raised you made, those things impacted everyone else in the family, didn't they? The same's true in this family, this church family. And you know, us here we have even more of a connection than the physical relationships with our biological family. We have a spiritual kinship which binds us together now and for eternity. We're more than blood related. We're, we're blood bought by the same savior. If you grew up with or currently have a, a real healthy family, you know, thanks be to God. You still have need for the church family. And I would say, you'll hear this morning from me, an even greater need. But thanks be to God for your healthy biological family. There are many who don't share your experience. And for them, this church is the family. It's more than a metaphor. This is the family that knows them and loves them and celebrates them, rebukes them, rejoices with them, weeps with them. I was at a going away party not too long ago for one of our college students, and I heard from two young men gathered that night with a lot of passion. They both said, this church has been more of a family to me than my own family. Maybe some of you can relate to that. In this family, we're linked together in such a profound and deep way that none of us can fully understand. We rise together, we fall together, we're bound through the ups and downs of life. This means 
just real practical, that my individual choices, they don't just impact me, right? And yours, they don't just impact you. Not if we're united, not if we're one body, not if we're family. You need me to live faithfully to God for the health of this family. I need you to live faithfully to God for the health of this family. So your individual life, your, your choices, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you think, what you look at, what you do, what you don't do, all those things, because we've been weaved together, mysteriously united to many others through a common faith in Jesus, because of that, your life is never just about you. You know, it's common to hear, like, as long as uh, your, your actions don't hurt anyone else, you can do whatever you want, right? We hear that, right? People should be able to do whatever they want as long as they don't affect other people. Friends, our lives always affect other people. I would venture to say there's never a decision that you've made that doesn't impact somebody else. I want to switch metaphors for a moment from family to body. Uh, the body of Christ, similar to family, speaks of our deep union with each other. We're many members individually, right? But one body. Let, let's say you're a toe, can we say that? Let's say you're a toe. If you're an unhealthy toe, that's going to affect the balance of the whole body, right? How about an eye? You're an eye now. If you keep poking yourself with sharp objects, that's not just going to affect your vision, but how we all see, right? The same is true positively. If you're a healthy toe, that's going to stabilize the whole body, if you're a healthy eye, you contribute to the clear-sightedness of us all. We're one body, the Bible says, connected to each other. We're part of one another. We can benefit each other or we can hurt each other. We can tear down the body or we can build it up. Your individual actions, mine too. We can have this great work or we can have a negative impact. We might like to think otherwise. My choices only affect me, but it's just not true. We're all affected. And so, if you're out of fellowship with someone in the congregation or in the body of Christ, if there's division, whether it's, it's new or it's longstanding, that negatively impacts not just you, not just you and them, but all of us, the health of the whole body. So for the love of God and the health of the family, sort it out. Please mend whatever's been injured, humble yourself, trust God, make it right. After all, we're family. The church is a family. But let me add to that. The church is a family whose members do the will of God, right? Not long after Jesus began his public ministry, he was already drawing large crowds because of his miracles, his teaching. People wanted to hear and see him. Many times he would do this outdoor just to accommodate large groups, but sometimes he'd go into a home and then they would just file in there and pack out the house like sardines. Sometimes they'd even come through the roof if there wasn't enough room at the doorway. So turn to Mark 3. That's the passage we heard Abraham read, verses 31 to 35. And we'll hear again what Jesus has to say about family. So Mark 3, verse 31. 
He writes, and his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, his disciples gathered there. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So in a culture that did not leave mom hanging, Jesus, surprisingly, is in no hurry to go to his mother. He asks, who are my mother and my brothers? And no one saw his answer coming. Verse 34, looking about, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. His religious family rejected him. He came to his own. His own received him not, John 1 says. His nuclear family, his mom and siblings, they misunderstood him, thought he was out of his mind, which is why they came to get him at the house. Let's take our crazy son, Jesus, back home. So Jesus is doubly rejected by family, but rather than just pouting or, or packing it up, rather than just saying, I guess I'll just be family-less, he redefines family and he invites others to join. There's uh, some quotes on the back of your outline. The first one is from this book, Family on Mission by Mike Breen. And he says this, he tells his mother and brothers he has a new family now. Can you imagine telling your mother such a thing? So much for focusing on the family. In one fell swoop, Jesus overturns everything they thought they knew about family. His disciples weren't just his roadies or work associates. They are his family. For Jesus, making disciples is about building a family. In one sentence, he completely redefines what family is, how it works, and what it's for. Right, so family for Jesus is defined in terms of discipleship, not DNA. It's about the will of God. And though his religious family rejected him and his natural family at the very least misunderstood him, the family of God at this point was actually in really good shape. And think about it. The position of father is already filled, right? God the father. The father already has a son, the best son ever, in fact. So the family's off to a great start. There's a father, there's a son, the best of both. And they're looking to grow the family. They're looking to expand there's an all call that goes out to everyone. Everyone's invited. The adoption process is open. And the really good news is whatever your start, your story, your social status, it won't keep you out of this family. Right? There's no minimum GPA to get into this family. Your race, your gender, your religious past, your current struggles, they don't bar you from joining this family. This family is one where you'll be loved and accepted and cared for. A family that includes lepers and prostitutes, tax collectors, Samaritans, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians. No Green Party, though. No, they're invited too. You, me, we're all invited. And while the invitation is open to all, one thing must be president, uh, present to, to have confidence that you are in this family. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. You have to be one who does the will of God to have confidence that you're in this family. What is the will of God Jesus is talking about here? Well, he doesn't get specific in this passage, but if we read the gospels through, I think it includes at least these three things. Listening to Jesus, 
accepting his teaching, cooperating with his mission. Listening to Jesus, accepting his teaching, cooperating with his mission. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now your family, your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters, your children if you have them, extended family, very important. It, it, it's cults that say separate from that family and just come join our, our group. Not the church, not Christianity. Jesus isn't saying that that family is not important. In fact, every time we read of people disregarding that family in the Bible, there's, there's a response, there's a rebuke. One example is in 1 Timothy where Paul says, if you fail to care for your family, your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. Pretty harsh words. That family's important. So Jesus isn't saying that that family is not important, only that they're not all important. Being in God's family is all important. Doing the will of God is all important. So when we hear a sermon, for instance, we can listen to Jesus, accept his teaching, and have a heart that desires to cooperate with his mission, or what? Or not. Right? Both options are available. We have examples of both in Mark chapter 10. We'll start with the one who counted the cost and found it was too high. And then we'll see some who counted it worth it no matter the cost. So this is Mark chapter 10. In uh, verses 17 to 31, we catch up with Jesus and his disciples in Judea. Someone we only know as the rich young ruler. He approaches Jesus. He has a question about his future. Good teacher, verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So they have a conversation about the commandments. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. If there's ever a time for the, like the yada, 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 I think this would be it. Kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The man says, I've kept all those things, all that. Anything else, Jesus? Yeah, one thing. Verse 21, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then there's a lot of really sad verses and stories in the Bible. This is a really sad verse. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. Right? He wasn't willing to leave it all behind to follow Jesus. Jesus told him, if you lose it all, if you leave it all for my sake, what you'll gain is far more, me and eternal life. But in that moment, he didn't see that his greater need was for Jesus. He didn't see that what Jesus was offering was greater than all his possessions. And because of that, he didn't leave anything behind. He didn't lose what he had to follow Jesus because he didn't follow Jesus. He went away with all his possessions intact but without Jesus, he chose to hang on to what he had, right? He wanted a level of commitment that he could get behind, something that required less of him on the front end. The bar was too high. He went away sad. There is no Jesus following, and we need the Holy Spirit for this, what I'm going to say here. There is no Jesus following without relinquishing all that we have and are to follow him, right? This rich young ruler sadly illustrates that he was not willing to do that. The cost was too 
high. He heard Jesus, but he didn't accept his teaching and he didn't join with his mission. But not everyone considered the cost and went away sad. Some counted it worth it, no matter the cost. A little later in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says to Jesus, see, we've left everything to follow you. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all fishermen, they left their nets and their boats behind. Matthew left his tax booth. All the disciples left behind family and friends and jobs and towns to follow Jesus. They left the security of home. They left what they knew to follow Jesus into an unknown future. They quite literally left everything to follow Jesus. And so now they find themselves in need. Because when you leave everything behind, you're going to have fresh new needs, right? They needed family. Don't we all need family? We do. They needed a place to call home. We all have that need too. Friends, security, hundreds of other legitimate needs. We all have them. I'm glad when... uh, Peter said, we've left it all, Jesus. He didn't turn to Peter and say, well, pal, you know, ministry's costly and kind of leave it there. No, he says, verse 29, truly I say to you, there's no one who left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. So they left everything to follow Jesus, but Jesus says to them, and this had to be so comforting to hear, you're not going to go without. Eternal life and the age to come, yes, but even now, today, you will have what you need and in abundance, a hundredfold. You've lost a lot, but here's what you've gained. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, in other words, Everything you need to say, I have a a home, I have a family. Notice that even though they left fathers, Jesus doesn't include that on the list of what they've gained. Not fathers. Why? Because they've gained one father, God the Father. They're part of this new family and that's wonderful, but it's not going to be easy. That's what we get from verse 30, with persecutions. And it seems like, man, we had this great list going, right? Mothers, fathers, lands, homes, all this stuff. Wonderful. Oh, by the way, persecutions. And I wonder if the point of that is that even the persecutions will endure in following Jesus. Even the hardest parts of life, they will be bearable because you're not going through them alone because you have family. Do you know how much you can endure when you're not alone? A whole heck of a lot, right? You can suffer many losses when you have people who are looking out for you, caring for you, providing for you, praying for you, supporting you, when you have family. The gospel makes us a family, and while there are things that threaten us, things that want to to make our family a dysfunctional family, we can have confidence that the gospel will do what it intends because of the foundation upon which it rests, right? The church is a family. The church is a family whose members do the will of God. And then finally, the church is a family whose foundation is secure. 
It's really nice to have something that is secure in this life, isn't it? God's family is built not on sand, but on solid rock. And so when the wind and waves come, and we definitely feel their force, don't we? We will not fall. It's still true that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Still true. How can we be confident? How can we trust that the foundation won't crack, causing the, the house to collapse and the family to fold? Because the church's one foundation, as the great hymn says, is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Our family is founded. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So Jesus died, we could say, to make us family. Did you know that? Jesus died to make us family. When he died on the cross for us, the relationships that sin had destroyed were restored. First and foremost with God, to get us to God. That's the best news. We're back with God, our, our maker, our father. But the relationships we have with others, those are also restored. Love for God and neighbor cannot be separated. They come as a pair. And when your neighbor is your brother, your sister, we have a common father. How sweet that is. Jesus died to give us to one another as a family. The cross makes us family. That's because the cross says no to isolation and yes to relationship. I hope you experience the, the church as a family. And if not, maybe there's one little step forward in that for you. In the second half of Ephesians 2, Paul is speaking about the Jews and Gentiles. It was well known that they were really big enemies of each other in his day. And he starts off in, in verse 14, or he says in verse 14 of Ephesians 2, you don't have to turn there. He says, for he himself, that is Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made us both Jews and Gentiles, these enemies, right? One, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's just packed with goodness right there. Jesus makes enemies, not just friends, but family, one body, one family, Jew and Gentile, right? Mortal enemies now calling each other brother, sister. They didn't see that coming. If Jesus is your Lord and he's, let's just say their Lord too, whoever they are, whatever color their skin, whatever color their state, whatever background they have, if Jesus is your Lord and he's their Lord, then you are family with each other and have obligations to each other. There, there's this strong urge in us, and, and this is true for as long as there's been people, I would imagine, to stick to our own, to stick with our own people, right? It's easier, it's more comfortable, but God is constantly pushing on that. God says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. God does that. He forms the family that we're a part of here, this, this church. 
And we have as much to say about the formation of this family as we had in coming into our natural family, which is how much? Zero, right? God's family is such an unlikely group, isn't it? I mean, just take a moment to, don't stare too much, but look around. <laughs> An unlikely group that we would all be here together. Henry Nouwen was a, the late Catholic writer of a lot of great books. He said, a community is a place where the person you least want to live with always lives. That's a great uh, reference to the church as well. Great description. We don't get to pick our church family. If you have a consumer mentality, I guess you might. You, could, you don't like it here. You move to that one. You don't like that one. You keep popping around. If you see the church as kind of a spiritual Sam's Club where you drop by when you need to stock up on something and then, you know, fill the pantry and I'll be back in six weeks or whatever. Maybe you have more freedom to customize your own Christian community. But if you're committed to following Jesus in a place with a group in a church, you will find yourself with people that you'd rather not be, that you wouldn't have chosen if you formed the family yourself to include all these people here. And this is good. This is really good because if we'll receive how God has formed this family, if we'll be humble God will train us in what it means to serve and sacrifice and die to self in a way that will never happen at our meetup group or book club, right? The differences between us are good. They're gifts. Whatever diversity we have is a gift. Just, just take us here this morning, this group right here. We're, we're not a huge church, right? Even if we got all three services together, unless you were raised in an Amish town and then we're a mega church, but we're not a huge church. But, but just here in this room, there's some diversity among us. There's racial differences. There's some socioeconomic differences. Certainly a lot of different backgrounds, different personalities. And sometimes I'll hear your stories or you'll, you'll hear others. And we can't even imagine what it's like to be you. I've not experienced that. Maybe you, you feel the same. I'm often struck by how little we have in common with each other, right? But because of the gospel, we're united. Because of the gospel, we've been brought into this family. God did this. God gave us to each other. And we have a deep, deep bond here that is far greater than our differences. Sin wants to turn us from each other, cause us to fear, cause us to look down our nose at others, keep us apart because of our differences. But the cross removes all of that. And we have the opportunity. It's not an automatic. You have to step into it. But we have the opportunity here to grow and learn and empathize in ways we never would but for the church. This is a very unique thing that God has done, the church family. Let's take full advantage of it. The, uh, the Christian author, this is my last quote, Philip Yancey, if you've not read anything by him, I would recommend starting with The Jesus I Never Knew. You can probably get on Amazon used for about four bucks. He writes this, as I look around on Sunday morning at the people populating the pews, I see the risk that God has assumed. For whatever reason, God now reveals himself in the world, not through a pillar of smoke and fire, not even through the physical body of his son in Galilee, 
but through the mongrel collection that comprises my local church and every other such gathering in God's name. Did you hear what he called you? It's, it's not, it's the author, right? I'll call you that in a minute, but he called you that first. Among, you are a mongrel collection. I'm part of that too, so it's not just you. But this is our family, right? And though there are very real threats to our unity and our health, we can be confident that the blood of Jesus is sufficient. He died to make us family, and that is what we are. Are you a part of God's family? Are, are you part of this unfinished yet hopeful community, the church? If so, I hope today was a, a great reminder, maybe something that would reignite your uh, desire to, to see your privilege and responsibility of belonging here and what to do with that. Maybe you'd be honest enough to say, you know, I'm not sure I'm part of the family of God or, or I don't know. I'm so glad you're here this morning if that's you because God is here this morning and he's always looking to add more sons and daughters to his family. This could be the day of your adoption today. This could be the very best day of your life. To be honest, it's not easy to follow Jesus but it's so worth it, right? If you'll turn the reins of your life over to Jesus, he's better at driving anyway, right? If you'll turn the reins of your life over to Jesus and put your trust in him, if you'll confess your sins and ask God the Father to make you his own, he will do that. You'll become a son or a daughter today without delay, and I think I can confidently speak on behalf of all us mongrels at 8th and Central. We would love to have you. Dinner's at 6. You can sign up on the patio. I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to uh, bring this series to a close. Uh, the gospel that comes to us and changes us and brings us in. We'll see how Jesus sends us out on mission to represent him in the world together. So let's, let's pray together. God, we do thank you for making us family, for you being our father in heaven. What an amazing thing it is to, to be able to call you father, to have brothers and sisters here. Some of us were only children in our family, but not in this family. God, continue to show us how we can better appropriate what it means to be the family of God and give us boldness and, and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.